Into the West, the podcast where we discuss the Middle-Earth strategy battle game. I'm Charles. With me today are Richard, Ian, and Alexander. In today's episode, we will be discussing Gimli, Son of Gloin, and each of us has written a list that includes Gimli. Looking forward to discussing those lists. Our open topic today should be a fun one. We'll be sharing some of the most fun or powerful hero combinations that we have used and a few that we'd like to try. Before we get into the topic of Gimli, let's have a brief discussion about the recent FAQ that came out a couple weeks ago. Now, there were two main balance changes and a whole bunch of smaller changes to the game and clarifications. This is actually the August 2020 FAQ. Right, our August 2020 FAQ, forgot to mention. So the two main changes are one, Gambling in the Rohan list and his Royal Banner, which now instead of all Rohan heroes within three inches regaining a point of might, only one Rohan hero may regain a point of might. What are your guys' thoughts on this change? Um, do you think it was necessary? Do you think it was changed enough? Yeah, I'm just uh, <clears throat> never going to play Rohan again. Uh, it's It's unplayable now. i don't think like it's that bad like everybody had a big fuss about it on like all the facebook groups but i i think it's the way it probably should be like it balances it out really nicely honestly even though like even when i used it i didn't use it a ton but when i used it i still probably only had like one sometimes two heroes getting their might back anyway so it being restricted to one now i don't think it's going to make as big of a change as people think unless it was like really really hero intense legendary legions then then it might be make a big more of a difference but i i, I don't know i don't think it's as, as big as people are making it uh to be fair though i think uh you you mostly run the foot rohan versions of the list which i think yeah um that getting one might back per turn is more normal. So I still think it's a pretty viable option there. But I think the main changes targeted at was the Theoden's Legion. And that one, I think, was being abused where they were just generating 10 to 20 might a turn. So I think that that change was pretty warranted. Yeah, I mean, well, the biggest difference for the Foot Legion is that what I like to do is, is I put in Haldor, Aldor in like in the range Hellas, of it. Yeah, Haldor and Aldor. And then they would just, like, give each other... The, well, they either use their might for shooting, because they both have bows, or they just, you know, piggyback with another hero and get that, that other hero free hurl combats, basically. I was a little bit surprised at how much it changed. I mean, to my knowledge, it's not like Rohan was winning every tournament or close to that, but I think it was not fun to play for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it might mean that it was easy to play for Rohan and more people on the roster playing the Legions. Um, yeah. I think they could have maybe nerfed the Riders of Theoden Legion on its own, because if you change Gambling, then you're changing all of the other Legions as well. You're changing the Defenders of Helm's Deep, you're changing the Pass of the Druidan. And I don't know if those needed to be changed, but it's at least it's a little less uh, crazy in terms of might supply for Rohan now. It's a little less annoying yeah. to play against. You might see more of the other Rohan heroes too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Rohan had always had its weaknesses before, even when the banner was really powerful. You know, they were all fight yeah. five and stuff like that. I don't know. I, I think it, you know, it requires a bit more of actual like gameplay rather than who was a green dragon. Somebody made that that kind of comparison where it's like it used to be kind of like the shade where you just turn it on and let it go, but now you have to like maneuver it a little bit yeah. and you can't. You know, it's a little bit harder to use. So I, I think that's fine. I would say maybe 
to drop down to 40 points, I think that's totally fair. Or if the banner was six inches, like the other two comparable ones, uh, Banner of the Even Star and um, yeah. Banner of the White Tower. Yeah. yeah. And then the second major change was to the demolition charge, where now it requires two enemy models within blast range in order to trigger, so within two inches. Any thoughts on this change? Didn't realize this was an issue. <laughs> So I think I think the issue was that um, there was a tournament winner in the UK. I think it was Jasmine. Basically, in the objective holding scenarios, once she had control of those, she would just explode her whole army and then ending the game. So I think that was kind of more like a direct response to that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not intended for you to kill your own army. Uh, I mean, there are other things in the game that can do that, like chariots and war beasts, but this was a really abusive for, like, an instant game-ender. Uh, I guess. It's kind of nice to see Isengard being played again, though. <laughs> I did find it a little bit surprising that, with the wording, why it's two models instead of one. The wording was a little bit odd to me, but... Yeah. Yeah. I guess they want to make it a little more difficult to trigger. Yeah, I think... I heard somewhere, somebody mentioned the idea... Might have been Green Dragon again, but like the idea was that if you can try to get rid of it, if you send like a hero or like one model to go after it and kill the crew, then they can't trigger it and just kill that hero instantly or something like that. I think is the idea. I don't know. Kind of makes sense, but but in my it's opinion, stupid. Like kind of <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's nice for gameplay, but it's kind of dumb. Yeah, because I don't think the demolition was overpowered in any way. I think like the nerf should have just applied to basically having that instant win condition, but. Otherwise, I don't feel like it needed a nerf at all. Yeah, it could definitely be redone. All right, so those are the two main changes. Now, there are a whole bunch of smaller ones. I don't know if any of you want to bring up in particular. Uh, One that I can think of is a change to the ring, where if an enemy model attempts to charge the ring bearer, makes a courage test and fails, they're still able to move. I think that makes the ring a little less powerful to just sneak behind enemy lines. It has a big impact, I think, just because the risk used to be if I want to try and charge the ring barrier with like lower courage things, I'm going to lose those models for the turn if they fail, right? And that can be really big if they're in a key, and like the ring barrier would probably be in a very key section of your battle line, right? Yeah. So now that that's not the case, it's not as good. But personally, the only time I really use the ring is when I'm running a seal door, so I like I never doesn't really matter as much for him, you know? Right. right. So there was the. Uh, uh, what is it with the heroic march? You can't be compelled anymore. You can't be compelled into combat. You can still be compelled and move, right? But you just couldn't be charged. Yeah. It's... So the change is now the hero that calls the heroic march can't be in combat that turn. So they can't be compelled or fell light or uh, moved in any way into combat. Which uh, I can see some rare situation where a hero could call heroic march in order to avoid combat that turn. Yeah. I mean. It's it's almost better than resolve in that kind of an aspect, because <laughs> guaranteeing your hero won't go into a fight could be really handy if you're like completely surrounded or something like that. But I mean, what are you gonna do next turn? I, I don't know. It's it's or interesting. Maybe it's like last turn of the game, and you don't want your target to die because it's fog of war or whatever. So you call the march. But they can still be charged normally. Oh, they can still be. Yeah, they can still be charged. So you just can't be moved. Yeah, yeah, it's so niche. I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like <laughs> somebody at one, some point is going to make use of that, and it's going to like blow everybody else's mind, but it's only going to work like once. 
<laughs> the only scenarios where this really applies is the idea that you march in order to stay ahead of your opponent so that they can't be charged because you move the extra three inches and then you can't be compelled backwards into charge range again. It's a very kind of specific scenario where I think it really only comes up once every like 10 or 15 games that I play, if that. So it's really, uh, it's come up for me in tournament games maybe twice in five years. Still, though, I mean, heroically yeah. running away is better now. <laughs> Interesting. We should try to make that a goal. Whoever can use heroic march as kind of a, a block for a magic spell. Dude, I already have <laughs> to try and use Heroic Challenge. <laughs> I think the only time we ever used it was the first game of this edition. I played against Charles, and what ha- like I think he Thaden Heroic challenged Elendil, and then Elendil was just like, okay, killed him in one turn and kept on going. I just wanted <laughs> to try it. Just wanted yeah. to try what it did. <laughs> and we were just like, that was stupid. I, I was yeah, I was, I was happy that I was able to faint even with the lower fight value because that was new too. Oh, you should get it, of course. You should get a prize for calling hero challenges at tournaments and still winning <laughs> our games. Secondary objective, yeah. I think just one more small one I want to mention is that uh, objective markers are now confirmed that it's treated as open terrain. There's been a few times where in a tournament I moved a model onto an objective and I was standing on it and my opponent would ask, are you sure you can do that? I thought you can only be base-to-base with it. And I'm glad that it's in the FAQ now. It's clear that... You can stand on the objective and you just treat it as open ground. That's a good point because there's people also who build their own custom terrain and sometimes it's like a barrel or something. And then just by looking at it, you would just assume you can't walk over it. That's yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I never really had issues with this, but I always but then how... make a point before a game starts with objectives like that. I'm like, okay, can we walk on these or not to clarify, right? That's yeah. usually what I do. So it's... I can't think of a time it's come up, at least recently, but it's a nice thing to have, to clarify, like you guys said. I think sometimes objectives are placed in places where you're not sure how you're supposed to treat it. But again, even before the change, if you would address that with your opponent prior to the game beginning, there's not usually an issue. But obviously, being able to just say, well, now objective markers are open terrain. My only question is, if they're open terrain, but they're in the middle of a difficult terrain terrain piece, does that just mean that you can stand Um, on it? That's oh, another, oh, another, another that's FAQ. That's interesting. <laughs> well, Alex, what have you done? <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, so now you can just stand in the center if you don't want to <laughs> suffer from difficult terrain. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> there was the one, I don't know if it was added in this FAQ or if it was an older one, but um, just that they clarified that um, for Legolas and Gilney to get there, you know, I'm myself, I'm sitting pretty on 43, the, the special yeah. bonus they have when they're fighting together. It that was this FAQ. Profiles. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, I get it. That kind of makes sense. But on the other hand, was it that big of an issue? Were people, a lot of people allying in Fellowship Gimli to Thranduil's Halls? <laughs> like, yeah. was it much of an issue? And I, I got I got more to say, but we'll get into that later. The issue of benefiting from each other's bonuses with the, the Merkwood version yeah. of Legolas. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I've never seen or heard anybody trying to do that okay. or do that. So I, I don't know. Okay. All right, so on to our topic in the first segment with Gimli, Son of Gloin.
Alright, so the first segment, our profile of this episode. I have the eyes of a hawk and the ears of a fox. Ooh. So, Gimli, son of Gloin, is 100 points, and he is from the Fellowship list. He is a hero of valor. His stat line is pretty similar to a lot of dwarf heroes. Movement of 5. He's fight 6 with a 4-up shoot. Strength 4. Defense 8. 2 attacks. 2 wounds. Courage 6. 3 might, 2 will, and 2 fate. He has heavy dwarf armor. Master forge, 2-handed axe. 2 axes and throwing axes. He can call heroic strike and heroic strength. And he can purchase an elven cloak for 5 points. General thoughts on this profile? I, I think almost everybody has probably played with the Gimli profile before. Just getting into the game and messing around with like the fellowship scenarios. You know, he's just he's a sturdy dwarf. He kind of reminds me of a dwarf king, but you know, he's got some more fun stuff yeah. that goes along with him. He's a fun profile. I like including him where I can. He's obviously not completely infallible. He doesn't have heroic march. He doesn't have heroic defense, which is one where... I mean, I guess I'm not surprised because he doesn't have a shield, but he's not perfect, but his special rules are fun. I'll, I'll let you actually mention them before I get into that. Yeah, um, I mean, there are a lot of heroes with heroic defense that don't have shields, but it's surprising since he is a dwarf and he is supposed to be like a tank. So Alex kind of started on it, but the special rules he has, first one is Axes of the Dwarves, which allows him to fight with two axes instead of his uh, Master Forge axe and he gains three attacks, but he loses the plus one to wound. And the second special rule is I'm sitting pretty on 43. If Legolas and Gimli from the Fellowship are in the same army, then they'll compare kills, and if Gimli has fewer kills, then Gimli gains plus one to wound in combat. Okay, now this special rule I really like, because I can't think of any other model in the game that has the potential to have plus three to wound. So that'd be from the Master Forged Act, the, that special rule, and if he had, like, a channel of enchanted blades on him. <laughs> Plus three to wound. Piercing okay. strike. Heroic strength. Oh, my God. That's just a wound factory right there. <laughs> now, because he is in the Fellowship list, which is an all-hero list, he can't lead any warriors. We'll be discussing that a little bit more in our lists, and there are exceptions where he can lead warriors. But do you guys... You know, from the times where you faced or used Gimli, did you ally him as like a single hero in another list? Or how have you really seen him being played? I've never really like, like when writing lists, I never really wanted to drop him in just by himself. Just because I feel like I always want to include Legolas in there as well to get that awesome bonus between the, the two, like the little synergy going. Which is a lot of points to spend if you're dropping in two heroes into a list that can't lead troops. That's a huge tax on, like, your list writing. So that's always been a big issue with me. The other thing is, personally, like, just looking at, at like, the Fellowship list, if I was going to one-drop a hero in, it'd probably be, like, Boromir. Just because he brings the Six Might in the March and he's so cheap. And I think, well, Richard has played around with that and I have too, but that's, that, that's a story for another day. <laughs> All right, let's get to the ratings then for this hero. Alex, uh, your rating? Uh, I give him a solid, I mean, it, it really depends on how you take him. I tend to probably give him a an eight, eight, eight and a half, maybe, leaning more towards an eight, really. Uh, just because he's got the three might, you know, he's a big hero, he's fight six, he's got the nice special rules, he's only strength four, 
But at the same time, I also find that obviously it's, it is, as we've already talked about, difficult to put him into other lists. There are quite a few restrictions around putting him in lists. And he's obviously missing a couple of key aspects. Like he doesn't have heroic defense, can't march. So he's a little bit limited. For that reason, I, I think he's probably about an eight. Uh, Richard? So I played against him a couple times in uh, several different lists. And I don't see him a lot, but when he does show up, he can be quite scary. Just his ability to kind of grind through basic troops. He could stand toe-to-toe with a big hero. And 100 points is kind of in that mid-level range. So I think he's fairly costed. It's just, yeah, like Ian brought up earlier that in the fellowship list, I think there's just better options. So I'd probably give him a 7 out of 10. All right. Uh, Ian? Uh, I'm kind of struggling with rating him right now. I'm going to be 10 towards the more brutal side, I guess, and go with like, uh, okay, I'll say a 6 normally. But if he's in, like, the Legions, then I'll probably say he's a 7. Did that make sense? Just because then the negatives of taking him are a lot, like, much reduced. Um, well, not not just yeah. in the Legion. You mean when he can lead troops, right? Oh, yeah, I guess in the Kingdoms of Moria as well, yeah. When he yeah. can lead troops, yeah, I'd call him a 7. But if he's out, if he can't do that, then, yeah, he's definitely a 6 for me. So to our listeners, what we're talking about here is Gimli... In certain situations, he can lead warriors, specifically in Kingdom of Moria, where he can lead dwarves, just like any other dwarf heroes in, in that list, and Defenders of Helm's Deep, where he can lead elves and men, and in Return of the King, where he can lead Army of the Dead. Oh, so there's three. Yeah. Technically, he's in great company, too, but he can't lead anyone. They, they all drop as one warband anyway, so it's not like... Yeah, yeah. He's in Men of the West Legion as well, but that Legion doesn't really get played. So Gimli is a little bit of a tough one to rate for me. He's really beefy and he can kill with his Master Forge two-handed axe, but he's movement five. Uh, I think that really limits his mobility. And uh, when you're allying him in, it's hard because he's a one drop and, you know, with a movement five model, sometimes, you know, it's just really hard to get where you want him to. I also compare him to similar dwarf profiles. I think the closest one that comes to mind is Glowin Champion of Erebor, which if you look, their stats are really similar. Glowin is 10 points cheaper. He has one less will and one less fate, but he has one more attack. He rerolls ones to wound. Well, he doesn't have the throwing axes either, but it's just Gimli, you're paying for his synergy for the plus one to wound with City Pretty on 43 with Legolas, and it's just you're not always going to get that. I think that he's good value, but he's not great. So I'd probably go 6 out of 10. Okay, next, we will be sharing our lists with Gimli, Son of Glorin, today. For listeners tuning in for the first time, after we review and discuss each list, we give our ratings, and our ratings are based on the heroic tiers from the rules manual. So anywhere from independent hero being the lowest score to hero of legend being the highest score to give a list. Alex's list is going to be from the Kingdom of Moria at 500 points. Obviously, today's episode must include Gimli, so that means I must include Balin. My heroes are Gimli and Balin. Balin leads five dwarf warriors with shield, one dwarf warrior with banner, three dwarf rangers with bows, and two Khazad guard. Gimli leads six dwarf warriors with shields, three dwarf rangers with bows, two Khazad guard, and I have one dwarf ballista which includes one crew member and one siege veteran. It's 500 points. 
26 models, breaks at 14, seven light points. What are your general uh, strategies for this list? Uh, obviously, with this list, I was looking at potential ways to mix together a couple of rather hard-hitting heroes, trying to mitigate one of Kingdom of Moria, Kingdom of Khazadum, dwarves in general, one of their biggest weaknesses, which is lack of mobility and thus lack of strong shooting, which puts them at a disadvantage because obviously a lot of armies will then sit back, force you to come to them, firing at you with any kind of bow heavy contingent they have at the same time. So I try and use this list to counter that with the ballista with the dwarf rangers and try and draw my enemy into me where I then have heavy defense and hopefully two heroes that can do quite a bit of damage, hoping to scramble my opponent as he approaches my army. I've actually played a similar list at 500 points where it's as many dwarf longbows as I can with a ballista. You know, it's a lot of fun. I think that very few armies at 500 points will be able to outshoot you, except maybe like Blinding Light or Rangers of Athelians, things like that. So you'll have them come to you most of the time. There's just a couple small tweaks I would make. You have 22 warriors, I believe. I would just go up to maybe your maximum amount of bows since your strategy is to have your opponent come to you. So I would probably just increase your bows by two. Put a shield on your, your banner, um, but that's just a really minor thing. Otherwise, I like the strategy. I think 26 models at 500 points is decent as well. Uh, give it a hero of valor. So I do like the list, and it has a very specific strategy that it goes for, which I think it could work well with the Dwarf Ballista and just maxing out the Dwarf Bows. I would say the only downside which really can't be helped is just having to include Gimli in this list, unfortunately. Especially at these lower points, I feel like the King's Champion is just the best Dwarf value hero you can get, or package deal. So I feel like swapping Gimli and a couple other things for the King's Champion, and you could probably even take out the banner in this case, would just automatically move this up a tier. So none of that is your fault, of course, Alex. But I think this list, I'd probably have to give it a Hero of Fortitude. I definitely normally would do exactly what you just said and place the King's Champion there in place of Gimli. Uh, this was purely for this week's theme to the episode. Otherwise, I don't normally include Gimli until I'm up somewhere around 800 points. Mm -hmm. And even then, sometimes I don't include him. So, Well, I think that's the one thing about Gimli, at least in this list, is that he usually is relegated for other things until you get up to higher points levels, like, you know, the 800, 700 at least, I, I would say. Which is it's unfortunate, because he is one of the only sources of, like, a three-attack hero in that list. Which, usually, you, you kind of go for as much as you can, but it, that's it's an interesting dynamic, I guess, the way he works in the list. As for the rating, I think I'm going to go Fortitude. I like the hero combos. I like Balin, especially at this level. He's not, like, that much of a liability, even though he's only got the two wounds. But he brings March. Uh, he effectively has the three attacks, so along with Gimli, you know, he got the two fight six, three attack heroes in there. They can do some serious chopping. And you've mitigated... The door's biggest weakness, too, with the ballista and the bows, so they have to come to you. Yeah, no, I still have to go with fortitude, but it's like it's like a strong fortitude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go over my list next, and seeing Alex getting two fortitudes, I'm not really hopeful. <laughs> so mine is a 500 points Rivendell and Fellowship Alliance. They are a historical alliance, so you do get to keep the army bonus. The leader is Gimli as a single drop. 
And then from the Rivendell list, I have Aristor in his Warband. He's leading three High Elves with Shield, four High Elves with Spear and Shield, four High Elves with Bow and Spear, and one High Elf with Shield, Spear, and Banner. So the second Warband is Kyrdan, and in his Warband, he's leading three High Elves with Spear and Shield, and two Rivendell Knights with Shield. That comes to 20 models and six might. So the idea is to use Kyrdan and... Kyrdan has a bunch of defensive abilities, Blinding Light or Dismay, and along with that he has Enchanted Blades, which I think when cast on Gimli would make him a very powerful hero. One thing I don't like about this list is the fact that um, he has to be the leader, but I think the strategy is to use Gimli to do most of the work, using Enchanted Blades to buff Gimli and let Gimli do all the killing. Aristor is not bad in combat either but the list is centered around Gimli. Hmm. I I actually kind of like this list. I'm looking at it some more now. Um, I just I just want to know, like, why, why did you choose Aristor to go along with Gimli? Is he just because he's cheap and he can he's a decent all-around hero at this points level? Or To be honest, if it wasn't Aristor, the other option would have been a captain because their Rivendell doesn't have a lot of mid-tier, mid-point level heroes. So if you wanted to go under 100 points, it's really him or Arwen. And she's only a minor hero now, so she can only lead six elves, and that wouldn't be enough. Yeah. I mean, I might like the list more if you did do the captain, but then I think you'd only get the one Rivendell Knight, which is also another thing I like in the list. Having the two Rivendell Knights in there, even though your model count is low, they do give you the mobility that you really need because you don't have a march. But I, I like that you can hit pretty hard. You know, Aristor gets the rerolls in combat normally, so that just means... Once Kyrdan has his auras up, he's just going to constantly be giving Gimli rerolls to wound, which is pretty good at 500 having those two. And they can both strike. That's really handy. Hmm. And they both have throwing weapons too, so you know, you could do some. You could definitely pull out some cheeky shenanigans with those two in uh, in the movement phase if you got decent uh, luck with your throwing weapons. Yes. Ah, interesting. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go. Ah, uh, you have the banner. Yeah. Okay, I'll go, like, Valor. Yeah, I'll go Valor. So I think the first thing that I would change for this list is just looking at it from a Maelstrom point of view. I think it's a bit tough because your leader as Gimli is kind of going to be alone, so you're going to have to burn might, and you don't necessarily have a lot of might to start out with already, so you could be giving up some VPs there. And then I also would probably shift most of the troops from Aristor's Warband to Kyrdan, uh, just because Kyrdan, in my opinion, is a force multiplier. So you kind of want to keep the bulk of the elves with them. But um, Kyrdan can only lead six now, right? Is he only minor now? He's only minor now. Oh, okay. So I guess five guys in the band anyway. So yeah, yeah, you're basically yeah. there. Yeah, I guess so. Then I guess there's nothing you can really do in that regard. <laughs> And I also think that 20 models is quite sparse and it's not really my playstyle because even when I play Elite Force at 500, like I, I believe I ran a Halls of Thranduil gear list kind of thing. I think I was around 23, maybe 24 in number. So 20 models kind of scares me if it's not like a all mounted force or something like that, something unique like that. So Aerostore, I've had my experiences with him. And even though it looks really strong on paper with the re-rolls to Moon, just because he's strength four and only two attacks and two might, I find that he really struggles to turn through troops. So he's not usually my go-to. I might actually prefer the captain as well. 
So I'm going to have to be a little tough on this one, and I might have to give this perhaps the lowest rating so far, but I would say maybe a minor <laughs> hero. Wow. Got the oh. first minor hero rating. I, I'm, wow. not, I'm not a, it, it might just be like my play style, but I don't think I would play a list like this. <laughs> That's interesting. I thought you were going to go at least like fortitude just because the, the buffs can cover the whole army, basically. Interesting. interesting. Yeah, it can really fall apart in Maelstrom. I can see that. I guess I'm just I'm really relying on them sticking together and having the terror and then like Gimli kill while the rest of them kind of just go on the defensive. But if they're not starting on the same side of the board, then yeah, that plan really falls apart. Alex, your rating? I like Aristor. I like him as a character. I like his special rules, his throwing daggers, his rerolls to wound. He's only two might, which I think is probably his biggest drawback given its points cost. Obviously, I like the the troops you've included. Yes, they're a bit low. I often find that's what's going to happen when you have the the two Rivendell Knights, but they are necessary. So I'm I'm not really sure how you'd want to work around that. Obviously, Gimli having to be your leader and being a single drop in any random deployment scenario is worrisome. I guess I also just worry about any idea where you have to let Gimli do all the hitting, just because I've had quite a bit of game experience with Gimli. And while he can definitely hit and hit very hard, especially with my personal favorite, which is going with the three attacks, piercing strike, if, he, if the uh, opponents are defense five or seven. But he's still ultimately a two-will hero that's susceptible to magic and being shut down that way. You won't see a ton of it at 500 points, but he's still limited, and he's limited by his movement, obviously, at only five inches. And that's probably the biggest detractor for Gimli is just the lack of march and lack of mobility that way. I like what you tried to do with it, but I find it difficult to see it winning a ton. I'll still give it a hero of fortitude because it seems like a sturdy army. All right. Uh, I got to jump to the defense of my rating a little bit, I feel like. <laughs> okay, so the other thing, just, just quickly, I do like that you have a ton of spears in there, too. Considering it's such a low low model count army, it's nice to have that versatility on a lot of the guys. And then the other thing is, I'm kind of surprised you said Aristor can't munch through troops there, Richard. I, I, thought, I usually think he excels at that. I guess his biggest issue is he can't win fights, so you're definitely going to want to like keep him in banner range and put a spear behind him. But I think he can still munch munch a bit. Well, I guess my thinking is the two might on that, and a lot of times you want to be saving that for strike. So, mm, okay. And on two attacks... He's essentially just like a foot captain, but then you're paying 85 points for him. So I guess for the points, it seems like he would kill a lot more troops than he should, or than he usually does. That's fair. That's fair. I guess the only other, like, here you'd come up that's kind of close to him is, like, Tariel. And she definitely munches through a lot of troops. So, yeah, fair enough. Would you like to change your rating, Ian? No, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna stick with it. Okay. I'm going to say it's a soft Valor, but I'm still going to keep my Valor. <laughs> okay, uh, next we have Richard with his 800-point list. Okay, so this one is from the Return of the King Legendary Legion. This list kind of wrote itself um, at 800 points. Aragorn, Strider, and the King of the Dead was a must-include. So I have Aragorn with Enduril and Elven Cloak as my leader. I have King of the Dead and then Gimli. And then the Warriors of the Dead are quite evenly split in the Warbands, but essentially I have 13 Warriors of the Dead with Shield, 12 Warriors of the Dead with Spear and Shield, and 2 Riders of the Dead. 
So at 800 points, this is 30 models and seven base might, and then plus one a turn from Aragorn's Mighty Hero special rule. So I usually don't like, or I don't find Elven Cloak worth the points, but in this particular list, I did get it for Aragorn Strider, just because he can't go over D5, and he's also the leader, so I think that's the main weakness in this list. But aside from him, the rest of the list is D8, so, you know, has a fair ability to fight and quite durable. And most of the troops have terror as well. This uh, legendary legion, the special rules are Endural Flame of the West is free. Uh, the King of the Dead gets the Harbringer Evil special rule, which is a good combination with all terror troops. Aragorn is actually also a six inch banner. Or he's not a banner, but spirit models count as being yeah. in range of a banner. So I guess this list plays fairly easily. It's a very uh, beginner-friendly list. Essentially, with no bows, you kind of just want to march on the enemy as quick as you can. And with Aragorn's free might of turn, you can essentially just keep marching. And then once you get there, Gimli would be kind of tanking. You can throw him at the big enemy hero, uh, King of the Dead, and Aragorn. They're a good combo to run around and assassinate things or just chew through troops. And then the two Riders of the Dead are there just for mostly objective taking. But if it's a fight to the death kind of scenario, then you can kind of use them to flank the enemy forces a little bit. So far, the only thing I don't understand is putting Richard with beginner-friendly lists. (laughs) (laughs) These two things don't normally mesh. I really like the list. I think this Legion might be one of the better places to put Gimli because he can lead troops, but the troops and the heroes around him also have movement six, which I find helpful because it obviously mitigates the issue that I have in the Kingdom of Moria list where everything moves five and you're stuck with a low mobility list. You obviously have the cavalry options in there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't Warriors of the Dead all defense eight? Yes, sir. With a shield. With a shield. And they all strike against your opponent's courage. Yeah, that's correct. And the King of the Dead gives minus one to your opponent's courage. Yes, sir. (laughs) I, I think you get where I'm going with this. The synergy is very good. This is one of the situations where I think Gimli can really thrive because he's not even really considered, I think, one of the main two heroes in the whole list. Being able to have Gimli as kind of a side hero is not something that comes up in most of the places you can put him. This is where he becomes really useful. You're not so worried because you have all the other big heroes. You can kind of throw him in and let him be reckless and just let him munch things. You can go three attacks, piercing strike, wherever you want. You can plug him into a big hero and take those gambles. And I think that's really useful. Andrew being free is just that would make any opponent vomit in their mouth a little bit. So I really like the list as a whole. I'm going to give that a Hero of Valor. Strong Hero of Valor, like right up by Hero of Legend, but it doesn't have the bows. I'm going to call an Ian and say it doesn't have the bows, and therefore I've got to call it Hero of Valor. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm a little bit torn with this because I like the Legion. I really like the fluff behind it. I think it's awesome. And I like the hero combo, like Alex mentioned. Yeah, all of them can threaten bigger heroes, but all of them can pretty much equally just munch their troops if they need to. So you got a lot of versatility there. You can, yeah, you don't need to specifically maneuver any of them 
to go into like a big threat. They can all like go into it and have a decent chance at fighting it. You don't have a lot of tricks though. I mean, I guess because your army's small, you know, Aragorn can march, and you have the uh, the Riders of the Dead. So you are surprisingly mobile, I think, which is interesting. If you do form the bubble, like the Death Ball, which it is going to most of the time be a Death Ball. I don't know. The issue I have is, like, if you come up against, like, a big Strength 4 army that just has, like, a lot of Strength 4 in it, like Isengard and Moran and Orcs, provided they have, like, a Shaman, that makes a big difference, then I think the Warriors of the Dead will just go down too fast, just because then it's only sixes. But if you go against a Strength 3 army, then, yeah, the Warriors of the Dead are amazing. They're so hard, and they're so annoying to kill. So I'm a bit torn. And then the other thing that just annoys me about the list is that Aragorn only casts a banner for spirit models in it. So you're always going to have to put it like a warrior with a spear behind Gimli and Aragorn so they can get the reroll, which is a little annoying. But it is a nice, fluffy special rule, I guess. I don't know. I I want to give it Valor, but I just, I'm stuck on Fortitude is where I'm landing. Because, yeah, you don't have the actual banner for those scenarios. Yeah, and I think just the times I've seen it played and played against it, it just is never quite performed as good as I would think it does, just on paper. Yeah. Yeah, I think I kind of agree. Like, I think there's definitely, like, a skill cap to it, but I think there's also, like, a pretty high skill floor, so, like, mm. it's hard to play it wrong, which is nice sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think you summed it up the best ways. Like, you, you put it on the table, you run at the enemy, and you, you see what happens, which is... Yeah, I'm going to stick with Fortitude. Whenever I see this list, uh, it seems to be most of the time the same hero choices. Unless it's at 1,000 points, then it would include all three hunters. But at 800, I usually see Legolas over Gimli just for the deadly shot. I think the deadly shot is really uh, useful in this Legion because all your heroes are on foot and you need that deadly shot to take out enemy mounts. And this list doesn't have it. It has a good number of terror models, so certain armies you'll probably just almost automatically win. Like, let's say, like a Gundabad army, something that has low courage or no access to Fearless, then you, you have a really big advantage. But against, like Ian mentioned, Strength 4 or Fearless armies, you're going to struggle a bit. I think Gimli is a, like Alex said, he's a good side hero you can throw in. I think he, he can take on uh, big heroes, and he's definitely a, a good asset to this list, but. Just knowing that there is an option of, of a deadly shot that you can include in this list to mitigate weaknesses and and it's not in this list, uh, it just, to me, it just feels like there is a pretty significant weak point. I think with your skill, I can see you doing really well with it, but the list just has a lot of weaknesses. And um, yeah, I think this is a hero fortitude list. I think maybe at a thousand points this list might actually be a lot of fun because then you can get all the heroes in there that you want and yeah. you, know, you can get more of those tricks like you're saying with Legolas and then Gimli gets more powerful with him in it too. Yeah. All right, our last list of the day is from Ian. Uh, okay, so I was tasked with coming up with an alliance list, a green alliance kind of kind of list. So. What I went for was obviously with Gimli from the Fellowship, and along with Gimli, I had Legolas, the horse, and armor. So obviously this is just nice to get that synergy between the two with the special rule, and I've always just really wanted to try this out for a while since I read the profiles. I want to see like what it can do, and I think the only time I really had was when we did the, uh, the Helm's Deep game, and we had the killing competition, <laughs> but I don't really yeah. remember what that was. It's fun. It's... 
it's nice and thematic. It's a lot of fun to do. Okay, anyway, so along with them, I have Galadriel, not Lady of Light, no, shocker, from Lothlorien, because uh, she needs to lead some troops. And we, yeah, we need that when we're having the two heroes dropping in. That takes up a lot of points. So Galadriel, and she's leading two Guards of Galadrim courts, one Galadrim warrior with spear, shield, and banner, six Galadrim warriors with shield, three Galadrim warriors with spear and shield, four Galadrim warriors with bow, and two wood elves with bow. And for my next warband, I have a Rivendell Knight Captain with shield, lance, and horse. And he's got three Rivendell Knights with shield, one Rivendell Warrior with bow, and six Rivendell Warriors with spear and shield. So initially, I was going to take the um, the Galadrim Captain. And it kind of came down to it for me was I was comparing, like, the Galadrim Captain gets the resistance to magic in this list because it is a green alliance between the three of them, which I thought was like, that's pretty good to have, you know, fight six mounted model running around with resistance to magic. That's could be handy at 800 points. But because I have Galadriel in there, if the captain goes up against anything that like could get into a bit of trouble, she can just immobilize it. So it's not as big of an issue if he's like at risk from enemy spells. And I just like having the damage potential from the Lance on the Rivendell Knight captain. It's kind of it's kind of like a death ball, I guess. You, you are gonna form up under Galadriel, but I do think it can hit surprisingly hard just because you can have the three fight six heroes charging in and doing some good damage. And part of my thinking with giving Legolas the horse is that if he focuses on troops before we engage in combat, he should be able to get a few kills with his bow. And then once he charges in the horse, he should be able to get a decent amount of kills. So I'm kind of thinking Gimli might just hopefully always be powered up at plus one to wound and when he has that then he can actually you know he can shoot through enemy troops if i need him to but i can also would probably be a look at sending him into a big enemy hero going up hero on hero with plus one to wound and he's got the strike he's got good defense so he can take a loss of round of combat i think he could actually be pretty good in that role at least in this list yeah numbers i'm at 32 models which isn't great but i have the blinding light so i should be protected from shooting and there are five mounted models in there which i do like end of march what do you guys think i think this is a pretty strong list it is a decent amount of uh, good heroes in it you've got a good shooting contingent uh you have a pretty hard-hitting rivendell knight captain with lance and gimli is in there to fight too so um, he can definitely dish out damage. You know, I almost wanted to give this like a legend, but there's just one big thing that I don't like about this list, and and that is that Galadriel is the leader. She is the only hero legend. Mm. And um, I think it's not just about Contest of Champions, not just about her lack of attacks to wound enemy models, but also she's defense three. I know she can re-roll her fate points, but... Defense 3 model as your leader is not really something that I feel very comfortable going to a tournament with, but I understand that you have to include it. So this one would get a Hero of Valor for me. She does have heroic defense, I'll just say that quickly. But yeah, that's that's fair enough. I actually quite like this one. I, I don't have the same issues with Galadriel being the leader as I've run lists with her as my leader, and... As a caster, you're generally behind the lines. You have blinding light, so you're probably not going to be shot at too much. Heroic defense, reroll fate, you can even give yourself fate back. So generally, that's not a problem. The only worry is contest of champions, having to get kills while you're unarmed, strength three. 
So I wouldn't dock marks off that. I think this is a really solid list. Um, the numbers aren't too bad. You have good amount of might, good shooting. You do have the march as well. Uh, I was I was also very close to giving this a legend, but I think I think the main thing is just I feel like you're going for the theme, which is commendable. But I I would just rather have Boromir Boromir in there <laughs> over Legolas or Gimli in this case. But <laughs> um, yeah, I understand this is you know as part of the theme and all that, but. I feel like if you're trying to go maximize your potential as much as possible, I think if you add, add in six might there, can't go wrong with that. But I, this is a very, very strong Valor, I would say. Yeah, in that case, I think I might swap the Rivendell Knight Captain for the uh, for Haldir just to get, you know, like shooting in there and the extra might and more strike. Yeah. Mm. But then you do lose. Oh, yeah, with the Bornier, right? Bornier has the march, yeah. yeah. Oh, that profile is so good. Yeah, so if you... It, yeah, exactly. I think if you did the Bormir swap and Haldir, I think that would be a legend probably for me. And it would be about the same points. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I like the list. I obviously also would love to try putting a Legolas and Gimli combo allied into a list. Of course, though, the biggest deterrent is the fact that the two of them combined are about 200 points. And that's a lot of points to sink into two single drop heroes. Mm-hmm. My only worry with Legolas ever is just that he's, even with armor, he's only defense five. So he's a little bit susceptible. He's, he's really useful for his shooting and his special rules, being able to pick off soft targets. But once you get him to combat, he's far from invincible. Gimli, once again, as a single drop, uh, only movement five, it's a little bit limited that way. Yeah, yeah he's not a single drop. I don't think oh, does he, he can. Come in, does he come in with Legolas in that case? I think I think they have to deploy together. I don't think you can do two separate Fellowship War. I think it, it'd be kind of nice if you know you're not going to do a Maelstrom game, just so then you can have you know you can see where the enemy deploys. I think that's a nice little trick to have. But I don't yeah, think you're right. Because then they count as one Warband, right? For, for yeah. The fellowship. Yeah. I think so. Obviously, like Richard said, very much similar to my experience with the Undying as my general. When you have such a strong spellcaster, you're going to be behind the lines. In Galadriel's case, she has blinding light. She can re-roll her fate, so I'm really not too worried about her being knocked off. But obviously there are some scenarios where you'd probably like your general to be a little bit more offensively minded. I do like the number of mounted models in the list. I like the generic captain. Uh, You said Rivendell captain Yeah. with uh, Lance... Just fully is it just fully kitted out 100 points or was it? Uh, he doesn't have the bow, so he's 95. I just I needed the extra points because the models are so tight. Yeah, but I did get the three knights in there. I really like that part. <laughs> no, I, I like the knights too. I, I still think just the best cavalry in the game. Definitely a good list. Model count's a bit tight, but I, I like the use of the generic captain in there. So I'll yeah I'll give it a valor. Cool. All right, I think this week's winner is Ian with three Valors, three Hero Valor ratings. I just have one more thought that I wanted to put out there. The one thing that I'm just... did I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I'm just so annoyed that I can't do a proper fourth age list with Legolas and Gimli leading troops together. Like, I think that'd be so much fun at, like, four or 500 points, and you just you can't do it. It's, just, it's so annoying. Why? Why? Why, GW? Why? 
because there's no need for combat in the fourth age. Sauron's gone. We've already won. Why do you have yes. to start wars just to have Legolas and Gimli lead lead troops? What is man to do against such reckless hate? I don't know. Well, so annoying. That's, that's why our tournaments are blue versus blue, you know? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's so annoying because that, that was the one thing that when I was writing this list is like, okay, I just need to get a hero of legend in there so I can have the option to get the numbers up, which is, yeah, it is annoying when you're allying. Yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> That was our discussion on Gimli and our army lists with Gimli. Now let's move on to our next segment. So in our open segment today, We'll be sharing some of the most powerful or the most fun hero combinations that we have used and uh, maybe share a couple that we haven't used before but we'd like to try. So basically these are heroes with magical powers or special rules that when combined provide a powerful effect or a really cool synergy. After each person goes over their combinations we uh, will give our thoughts. Uh, Richard would you like to start? Yeah so I have two combos, actually one that I have used and one I haven't. So the one I have used and seen used to great effect is the, the Galadriel, the Lothlorien version, and Gwaihir. So I find this combo really strong. First of all, having them both Hero of Legends, having them both in the same list, you can kind of determine, uh, depending on the list that you bring, which kind of leader would better suit your list. And then the main combo that you can pull off with this is usually a compel on a key model and then Gwaihir as a flying monster, um, which I generally use as an assassin, could jump in and just take out a key target. Or you can even compel a regular troop and then Gwaihir jump in and hero a combat into another target. So there's a lot of options there, but just having that pull and fly, which is movement 12 over any terrain, is just really insanely powerful in my opinion. And lastly, this combo, if you take the Mirror of Galadriel, um, I think we talked about this in the previous episode, but Gwaihir as a monster can pick up the Mirror as a heavy object with no uh, negative effects. He can be regenerating his three fate every single turn. So with DA, three wounds, three fate, and you can regenerate that three fate every turn, like good luck wounding him. So what do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it puts an immense amount of pressure on your opponent to have that compel along with the flying monster. Like, you, you have to change the way you play against that kind of a list, especially when the monster's high fight, too. It's not like having a ring rate where it's like, oh, it's fight five or fight six. You know, he's fight eight. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to have such careful positioning with it until you can even manage to lock down Gwahir. And if you do manage to lock him down, you know, if you win the heroic move off the next turn, he can just fly away for a turn and then come back next turn and do the same thing. It's oh, it's such a good combo. It's so deadly. I've played against this combination before and it's just Gwahir is just so good as the leader or just as the monster that you throw into combat. Like Sometimes I look at the mirror and I just don't even try to kill him because 
you know what what's the point you're committing so so many resources to killing one model and you might not even succeed like ian said he's uh, he's high fight with the heroic strike and he has terror so there's no guarantee that you'd be able to trap it yeah with a 12 inch move and being able to fly over models start behind your army he can essentially position a hurl from any direction i think his biggest weakness and that we've talked about this before which is just the fact that he has two attack space so three on the charge, and then he's strength six, right? I mean, seven if you take him in a peer list, but that's not really going to happen much, right? Yeah. But that he can struggle to kill things, so he's not great at assassinating really big heroes. But, I mean, anything under 100 points, oh my god, he can just pop them, gone. It's horrible. <laughs> it's so annoying. And even if you go against a big hero, if, he, if it's a big enemy hero like, I don't know, like an Aragorn, even if he can just get in there and get a wound on the enemy leader, that's huge. That's so helpful, right? So it's... Ugh. It's a gross combo. I guess you can move on to your second combination if, if Alexander doesn't have anything to add. No, I think Ian's sentiment about it just being absolutely disgusting and so difficult. I think both of you just saying it's so it's so difficult to be able to plan against that or be, to be able to alter your game plan against such an incredible combat hero that can strike from anywhere and go anywhere, do anything carry Galadriel's mirror in his mouth. He's really good at fetch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I guess... Nuts. I guess going on to my second combo, I haven't really had the chance to try this. I've done a similar combo, but essentially it's Druzhag, the Beast Caller from the Moria list, and also Shelob from the Mordor list. So for those that don't know, Druzeg is kind of the goblin shaman who can lead bats, wargs, spiders. But mainly I'm getting this for his magical power in Rage Beast. So on a 3 plus and a 12 inch range, essentially if you cast it on any of these beasts, it ups the fight value, strength, and attacks uh, by 2 for that turn. And if it's the channeled version, it's plus three. And basically, at the end of the turn, the beast would take one strength 10 hit. So the idea with this one is that Shelob is a 10-inch move monster with swift movement, which means that she could pretty much go through any terrain. And she also has Venom, which is re-rolls to wound. So, you know, her main issue, I I feel like, is having that one attack. But with the Enraged Beast, you can put her up to three, four attacks. Um, And I I think she would just be able to kill anything. So I've actually ran a similar combo with Druteg and some Wild War Chieftains. And even at that level, they were pretty insane and just taking down big heroes. And I think with Shelob, it would just be on another level. And why Shelob in particular is having the six wounds. So the negative effect of taking that strength 10 at the end of the turn from the spell wouldn't matter as much for Shelob because she could actually take several bits of these things. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think? Okay, Does... so whatever I just said about Gohir not being able to wound, forget it for this. It's like the same combo, basically, <laughs> but now it's just only wounding. It's horrible. <laughs> it sounds scary. Does Enrage Beast buff Courage, too? Um, fight Strength and Attacks, right? Okay. I'll, I'll have to check that. Okay. Because um, I'm just thinking, 
Shelob has the the one rule called uh, survival instinct, which means every time she is wounded, she has to uh, take a courage test. And if the courage test is failed, then she basically is removed as a casualty. So still like courage six with like six. Well, she's courage, like she's that, courage right? four. Oh, courage six four. Well. But the six will. Six oh, will. Okay. Yeah. The six will is, I guess, it's good enough. And uh, Druzek has five will, so he could cast it up to five times, maximum five. Yeah. So I guess the six will, as long as you don't flop two rolls in a row, it can yeah. probably carry you through the game. I mean, um, you play it safe, you probably do two will with Druzek anyway, so you probably only want to get this off two turn times in a game. Yeah. I mean, Druzek, Druzek can also cast Fury for spiders. And uh, if you if you set up Shelob to be within six inches of Druzag at the start of her move, no, no, she would have to be um, within the Fury range when she takes the Strength Ten hit. Oh, yeah. Charles, just to interrupt, I actually missed that. You were right; it does add to Courage, so she would be Courage six that turn. Channeled, it's Courage seven. That, so that helps help? a lot. Yeah. Mm. Does it still apply when you take the hit? Though? Oh yeah, because you take the hit in end phase. Yeah. So. Does your buff end at the end of fight phase or at the end of the turn? So so the wording is you get those buffs until the end phase, and then during the end phase, the target suffers one strength 10 hit. Okay. That's... I feel like you could argue it either way. <laughs> <laughs> FAQ time? <laughs> yeah, it might be FAQ time. Yeah. If it says beginning of end phase, then probably the intention is no, but if it just says end phase, then I'm not sure. Yeah, hard to tell. But yeah, it's, it's a gross a, combo, though. It is. It is a gross combo. Just taking advantage of the monstrous charge, and um, and the poison, the venom. Uh, it feels like she can kill anything. And if you channel it, she becomes fight ten, right? That's yeah. That's yeah. like as good as it gets. Fight so. ten and strength ten and four attack. Like, yeah, like her biggest weakness is she only has one attack. I mean, she has the monstrous charge, but still only one attack. But then all of a sudden, you go up the what, four attacks on the charge? Oh, God. Oh, no, it would actually be five attacks on the charge. If you channel it. <laughs> if you channel it. Throw a banner behind that? That's that's, that's ridiculous for a 90-point model, all of a sudden. So Alexander, anything smart. to add? I mean, just like the previous combo that Richard put out there, that's just mean. <laughs> that's like... I mean, Shelob's one real weakness is only having one base attack, so two on the charge and then having to take the courage test. Now, obviously, we're having the debate as to whether or not that courage buff applies when the hit is taken, but if it does, it essentially makes her pretty difficult to get to flee. So I think with Venom re-rolling failed wound rolls, being able to take advantage of all of the uh, brutal power attacks, the ability to move over any terrain piece at full speed... Do me a personal favor and never bring this to a game against me. <laughs> so, Just don't. I'm afraid. Sorry, can't promise that. Like, like that's... Is there a way you could get the Spider Queen and Shellob and Drizzik all on the same list? Yeah. Without it being possible. Yeah, that's think, so yeah. gross. Yeah. Like just having the threat that like you could turn either of these things just into absolute monsters. Well, bigger monsters. Oh, oh. It's not as easy casting it on the Spire Queen, though, because uh, she has no fate and three wounds. Oh, okay. But I mean, just for one turn, anyway. Oof, oof. Yeah. That's scary. That is scary. I'll go through my combos next. So I brought two combos today, one that I have used and one that I haven't. The one that I have used 
is Suleiman and Mahud Kings. So this one, it's not uncommon or anything, but I find this to be a really powerful combo. I've played this at a few tournaments, and I always thought it was um, very good synergy between these two heroes. So Serpent Horde is the only green alliance with Farharad. So being able to include Suladan and Mahud Kings mean that Farharad gets to keep their army bonus, which is really important for charging terrifying enemies and to stick around when the force is broken. So it's the number one hero to ally into a Farharad list. Mahud Kings have three attacks space for a hero that's under 100 points, which is really good value. And their role in the army is to uh, just jump in and kill, and especially mounted on a war camel. Suladan having the six-inch banner gives them all essentially five dice on the charge on their dual rule, which when you're trying to kill, especially a hero, and you're striking up, uh, it's really important to get the six. And with five dice, you'll usually get the six. In addition, Suladan is a hero of legend, so in a Serpent Horde and Farharad list, you generally don't want a Mahud King to be the leader, uh, because you're throwing them in. It can be hard to protect them, so uh, Suladan being in the back, acting as the banner and the leader, just it just works really well with Farharad. So everybody, I think, knows how annoying it is to fight against, like, Azog when he's got his two-handed pick on the warg, or Bold when he's got his two-handed pick on the warg, or Dane. Now you have two of them. <laughs> the, the damage output on the Hood Kings is just disgusting. And like with this list, unlike the one you had the other week, you get to keep your army bonus. So now all of your Courage 2 dudes just don't care. It's, oh, it's, it is a very, very annoying combo to fight against. And they all have Strike, too. Yeah. So, I mean, biggest weakness is their Fight 5, but who cares? They're like 100 points, less than 100 points. Yeah. At that rate, it's just... Oof, oof. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's just... These three heroes are probably just up there in one of the most cost-effective evil heroes you can get. So, yeah, why not? All right. Alex, anything to add? Well, I mean, you say Mahud Kings. So I'm assuming you mean Suladan and two Mahud Kings? Yes, typically. Yeah, that's just just the heroes. Obviously, we don't have the um, loadout for the rest of the army. Lots of camels. (laughs) Being able to have two Mahud Kings? They're just dirty. Two of them in one army is a lot of damage coming from everywhere because they come mounted. They're... Well, they, they don't, but I always mount them. So I just <laughs> assumed they were always mounted. <laughs> I never thought you would play them any other way. So people don't know, but they're actually born on the camels. You can't actually separate them. Yeah. They're just <laughs> like that from birth. <laughs> Uh, well, Legolas opened up a nice little uh, shop for taking care of that specifically. <laughs> yes. So my second synergy that I wanted to discuss, I haven't actually tried, but it just seemed really powerful when I looked at it, and it is King Elisar and Hurin, Warden of the Keys. They're both from the Minas Tirith list. So Elisar, first of all, is one of the best combat heroes in the game. I think everyone can agree on that. You know, He has pretty much all the heroic. He has all the good ones, and one Mighty Turn, Andoril, Mighty Hero, you know, he's got it all. Curran is a more of a mid-tier level when you first look at his stats. Two attack, two wounds, three might, one will, one fate, fight five. But combining with Elisar, it seems like, it seems to me like it puts Hurin on steroids. Mm-hmm. So Hurin has two special rules. One is that while Hurin is alive, your opponent cannot score VPs uh, for killing the enemy leader. So in this case, it would be Elisar. Um, for so killing that, your leader. <laughs> for killing your leader, sorry. Um, 
And the second one is if Hurin is within three inches of Elsar, then he can re-roll a d6 in combat in his dual roll. So the wording, it doesn't say that he treats Elsar as a banner. It says re-roll a d6. So this means that it stacks with a banner effect. And Elsar has Standman of the West rule, which all models within six inches of him treat him as a banner. So Hurin essentially... If he stays within three inches of Elisar, he gets two rerolls on the duel. Him being two attacks doesn't look that impressive, but on the charge, three attacks on the charge, and you can reroll two of them. It just seems that he becomes a really reliable combat hero, and so I would like to try that at some point when I do play a large point uh, Minas Tirith list. I mean, that special rule with like the line of kings is just so handy. It means you're more, you're not as worried about throwing in your leader in like sticky situations. Because, you know, you have a bit of a backup. And, yeah, honestly, like you said, he doesn't look like he can do a lot. But then when you mount him up and you combine him with the fact that he always has his plus one to wound, even if he's not charging, he can still do a lot of damage against troops. And even against heroes, like you said, on the charge, he, he he, he could mince a lot of heroes above his points range. Special rules for the win. Stacking rerolls on rerolls. You really just can't go wrong with that. All right, Ian, your hero combos. Okay, so my first combo I have is uh, Glorfindel and Kirdan. So, okay, I mean, Kirdan basically works really well with any hero, honestly, <laughs> just to charge them up with the Enchanted Blades. But I find it works especially well with Glorfindel because Glorfindel, he's an amazing hero for his points and for everything his stat lines bring. His biggest weakest is that he's only strength four. So if you go up into a line of defense 7 stuff where you start fighting a hero that's D7 or D8, he can just get bogged down super easy. And you kind of want to send him into bigger heroes anyway because he has the fight 7, so he can kind of, you know, roll combat into them and, and spook him out. But adding in the enchanted blades on top of that means all of a sudden he basically has 16 dice to try and wound you. Even if it's on 6s, that's still a lot of dice you're throwing. So he can do a lot of damage quickly with the the boost from Kirdan. Um I don't know if there's much more to say about that. I think it just covers his biggest weakness, honestly. It also just means that, because Kirdan's a minor hero now, if you want to do any kind of yellow alliance, you're going to have to take a hero of Valor anyway. So they kind of work well together like that. Yeah, uh, just to add on, um, I like this combo because they're heroes from the same list, and also they're not too expensive individually, so it's very easy to pull off. So it's something that you could easily fit in in even like a 500-point list. So... My next combo um, is Arvadui and Malbeth from the Arnor list. So this combo I just really like because it is really cheap. It's 150 points for the two of them. And if you're going to take Arnor, you might as well... Well, you, you are pretty much going to always take them, I think. Even if you're allying. Well, you have to, I guess, because Arvadui is the only Valor here. Anyway, anyway. For the points that, that you're spending, it's just really efficient. Because Arvadui, he has three attacks, and he has Heroic Strike and Heroic Defense. So even though he is like kind of weak, he's only D6, two wounds, one fate, when you throw in the Malbeth save, the five-up save on top of that, and the fact he has heroic defense, all of a sudden he can, he can go in and he can tank really big heroes. So one of my favorite things to do with him is just pit him up against like the big enemy hero, and like especially even if they're mounted, he'll go into them, and if they get the charge, he'll heroic defense, and he'll should live through that round of combat. If he gets the charge off, then he'll go in and heroic strike, and he'll threaten the enemy hero. He probably won't kill him, but he'll be a really big threat. And I just find for the points, his points cost, he can just 
stall or uh, what's the word, tar pit an enemy hero extremely effectively. I also ran this actually with the other combo I mentioned with Glorfindel and Kyrdan at uh, when we went to Nova, and throwing an enchanted blades on him just increases the threat so much, and it actually I think it finds it stresses out opposing players a lot more if he's charging into their, like, leader or something, because all of a sudden, you know, he's, he still only has a three attacks, but he's re-rolling to wounds, you know, they, they, they get a little bit of pressure on that, and they start blowing their might trying to counter-strike, and he can just, yeah, he, he just, he, he can fight way out of his league when he has those buffs on him. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a good combo, but this might be a bit, like, of a cheat, because I don't really want to count this one. I kind of want to disqualify you, because... <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like if you're going to play Arnor, these guys are just auto-takes, but I'll, I'll concede cool. that they work well together. Like, but it's it, not if a, you take... It happens all the time. <laughs> you have to take these guys if you go for yeah. them. Yeah. Just uh, maybe give other players PTSD from last edition, where it was really easy to get the 5-plus save from Shamans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Honestly, it's so satisfying being the one that gets that when I play as him. Because, like, all of last edition for, like, four or five years, that was just my nightmare. Like, I still have a bit of a phobia of doing Hiroga combats because <laughs> of that stupid five-up save that Shawans used to give to everything. <laughs> I miss that so much. Oh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, so my last combo, again, it's, it's a little cheap because... Okay, so I, it's Boromir of Gondor and Galadriel, Lady of Light. It is a little cheap because, again, Galadriel, Lady of Light, she just, she's just so good at buffing any heroes. Like, a lot of heroes are susceptible to magic, and she just stops that. But I really like it with Boromir because he only has the one will and the zero fate, so he is, like, he can die, like, in a turn really easily. So if he gets compelled out, he's done. So having the magic protection is really nice. Having the blinding light is also super nice because it means his horse is more likely to live to get into combat. And the other combo that I forget about like all the time, because I did run these two together at the tournament, but having the Horn of Gondor with the negative one to cur- the enemy courage value from Galadriel is really nice when you remember to use it. Because it means he, he's when he's fighting troops, he's just he usually just wins half the time anyway without having to roll any dice. And then he's just he's just killing stuff. Everyone forgets about the Horn of Gondor. Yeah, I think I forgot about it in like every single one of my games, except for like in the last half an hour when I was playing against Angmar, and I was like, wait, I have the Horde of Gondor. And the dude was just like, yeah, I don't know why you haven't been calling it, like, the whole game. I was waiting for you every turn. I was just like, oh, I'm a goof. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a pretty strong combination. You're using Galadriel to limit Gormir's um, only weakness, and uh, or two of his only weaknesses, shooting and magic, right? And, uh, you know, Gormir's really well-costed. He's I think he's a little undercosted, but you're making him a lot more survivable so that he can use his six might. So yeah, great combination, and I can see this combination being able to be slotted into many lists. Right. So I'll start with just a, a bit of a combo that I've been playing around with the idea of. I've not actually put it in game, so I, I can't really test how it's going to play. But when I was flipping around this week looking for combos to put in. So I came up with the idea of Gorbag, or Captain, of course, the Shield, and the Easterling Warpriest. Now, Gorbag is never my primary combat hero, obviously. It's kind of a <laughs> secondary character there. 
but he's very he's sneaky good for being 60 points at defense six. So he's fight four, strength four, defense six for the shield, two attacks, two wounds, courage four, three, one, one. However, a special rule means that if he's outnumbered in combat, which I almost always try and make him outnumbered, he becomes fight five, three attacks. So he actually becomes quite capable as a combat hero. So I think as a secondary combat hero, to place him in an army that is allied with an Easterling war priest and a war band of, say, eight Black Dragon upgraded Easterlings with pikes and shields to give the fight for value and maybe four Easterling bows because Mortar has such poor shooting. The Easterling War Priest's ability to cast Blade Wrath on a hero like Gorbag makes him even more dangerous. And then you've got potentially a, a larger combat hero, someone who gets more attention like Goroth, Gothmog, Witch King of Angmar, Shagrat, someone larger that will get more attention. And then you've got the secondary hero that pops in and all of a sudden he's fight five with the ability to heroic strike. He has defense six, three attacks, three might, and all of a sudden for that turn, all of his his strikes are being resolved at strength six. So I think it's it's obviously not something that you base the whole army around, but it's something that can give you some extra hitting power for really what's 120 points and it's historical alliance. It's a nice trick to sneak in for sure and three attacks at strength six is basically a, a cave troll on a really small base but um yeah, yeah. I, nice trick i i like it just because it's very unassuming you know if, if you if you're playing against somebody who's not used to playing against gorbeg and then you the, the first turn you break out his special rule where he goes up to three attacks that's when you you know put him into a hero and like a, a friendly warrior and all of a sudden he's strength six with the three attacks and he's heroic striking you know that's that's a pretty incredible threat to like a lot of heroes that normally wouldn't really worry about him, like uh, like the, around the hundred point range. All of a sudden, he's you know he's 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 going to do some some damage if they don't uh, spend resources to try and counter him. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I guess yeah, you guys kind of touched on it. I I think it's probably not like the most fancy kind of combo, but I can kind of see where you're coming from. But I guess it's kind of like I would say Gorbag. On Gorbeg's part, it's kind of more interchangeable with a lot of um, other cheap Mordor heroes because they have so many. You're mostly, I feel like, the important part of the combo is getting the Blade Wrath from the War Priest, right? So what could be kind of even sneakier and could be fun would be if you take Grishnak instead with the Backstabber rule. And if you can get a trap on like a big model, like maybe like a monster or like a mounted hero... And then, yeah, put Blade Wrath on that, and he can definitely do some damage. Yeah. So, similar effect, though. Yes, but I think the center of that combo really is the Blade Wrath from the Easterling War Priest. Obviously, being able to get the, the fight for uh, pike supports and the, the extra few bows is just mm-hmm. kind of an, a little added bonus. I really debated between Gorbag for, for the example or Numenorian Marshal with the Lance and the horse and the shield Mm -hmm. just because he gets the charge. He does get the strike though, which ultimately was the the tiebreaker for me. So he doesn't get the strike, but he has the lance, the shield, 
the charge bonus and then to get to resolve it at strength six. My other combo that I thought about for this week is one that I've played quite frequently. Comes up almost guaranteed at higher points in one of my lists. Fallen and the King's Champion. Now, much like Charles's combination with the banner effect, it's not a banner effect as so much as just a banner, but being able to split one of the heralds off to allow Holland to both re-roll for Duran's axe in the duel in his duel roll, as well as re-rolling the other die for a banner re-roll, makes it quite a bit easier for him to win his combats. And then obviously having uh, two fights, six heroes, one of which is strength five, they're both defense eight most of the time. Both of them can heroic strike, Fallen can march. They're a pretty formidable pincer attack, so long as you can get them both into combat and doing what they can do best. It's like a it's it's similar to um, my Hurin and LSR uh, synergy mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the double reroll, and um, you know Balin essentially is rolling four dice on the duel. That's very powerful, especially when he has the plus one to wound. Um, it does ensure that he'll get the kill. Mm-hmm. It just makes him so much more reliable when, when he only has the two attacks base. You know, you really want to get him with the rerolls and stuff. And you can't mount him, right? So the only way you can do it is by getting a banner. And then, yeah, you just throw on the fact that the King's Champion is just so efficient, like uh, one of you guys said earlier. Yeah, it's, it's good. Anything else to add? That's it. Um, so I think uh, we have a couple missions for, uh, well, anybody, any of us or any of the listeners. If somebody uses a heroic challenge effectively, please let us know. <laughs> and for my sake if i don't get to it um i would just love to hear about any stories of somebody getting gimli to have a uh, plus three to wound i just i want to see it happen sometime i want to know <laughs> what i gotta know yeah well this has been this week's episode thank you all for listening and for coming on the podcast to discuss gimli and hero combinations until next time, this is Into the West Podcast.